Good morning, everybody. I'm Ed Glaze. I'm one of the pastors here at Moon United Methodist Church. It's an honor and privilege to be before you on this very special day in the life of our congregation. Indeed, churches all around the world are celebrating all saints. And so um, several folks, well, you got a tie on today. And say, I do own ties, yes. And, and, today, and today's a, a very special day, though, and I wanted to honor the occasion by uh, getting a little more dressed up today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we're come before you with all the saints of glory, grateful for all that you have given to us through people we remember this day. Yes, the names that we've called out, but also our people who are precious in our hearts. We thank you for them. And Lord, we pray by the way that we believe and the way we live, well, we want to be a saint too. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. We celebrate Mardi Gras around here. I think you all used to call it Pancake Supper or Shrove Tuesday, but coming from where I came from, living pretty near uh, the center of Mardi Gras, which happens to be Mobile, Alabama, by the way, if you all want. It, it, it was the first Mardi Gras was, was, was there, really. Um, you know, we started introducing Mardi Gras uh, around here. And one of the things that we do uh, at that pancake breakfast or supper is that we get the kids, dress them up all funny, and we start to parade around the fellowship hall. Those of you all have been here know that, and, and we have a lot of fun, and we throw out moon pies and beads and other things like that. And what song are we singing as we go around the fellowship hall? When the saints go marching in. Yeah. And when you go to New Orleans, you have to go to a place called Preservation Hall. Now, it's a small little building, and the first time we ever went there and waited in this long line, we're packed in there like sardines, and these old guys shuffle into the stage, and you wonder, I've waited all this time in this crowd for this, but then they start to play, and if someone will pay the extra money, they will play this, what they call the saints, and oh my gosh, those horns start to produce some beautiful sounds. It's like uh, heaven has come down to earth because they're so joyous in playing that song, and you, even though you're packed in with everybody, you just can't help but move, because they're proclaiming a promise when the saints go marching in. Oh, it's glorious. I hope you'll do it one day if you haven't already. But as we come on this All Saints Sunday, and we talk about the saints go marching in, what in the world is a saint? You know, really, we, we use this term. I mean, there's a, a semi-decent football team that plays out of New Orleans called the Saints. Yeah, I know, you know, I, I, I follow them. But what is a saint? When we think of a saint, oftentimes we think of someone that's a specially holy person, someone that, it, that we revere, that someone, you know, even some traditions even pray to. Yeah, and we think to ourselves, you know, I can never be like that. I can never be someone that people will emulate. You know, we, we think of people like Mother Teresa, and I had a friend that had a nightmare one time that he said that he was in line to get into heaven and he happened to be behind Mother Teresa as she approached the pearly gates and there's St. Peter greeting Mother Teresa and here's what Peter said, Teresa, old girl, couldn't you have done a little bit more? You know, and my friend said, oh my gosh, if Mother Teresa's being grilled, what's going to happen to me? You know, we think of people like Mother Teresa, someone that we can never be like. But scripture doesn't give us that indication. When we read in the New Testament, we read things like this to the saints at the church of Philippi. Paul is implying that the people there in the church, the folks that are there worshiping together, well, they're the saints. 
Those who follow Jesus, those who believe in, believe in Jesus, they are the saints. So, friends, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, raise your hand. Are you, are you Christians in here? Most, most everyone raise their hand. Guess what? Those who raise their hand, meaning the folks that are here, and if you're online and you raise your hand, you're a saint. We are the saints, you see. We are the ones that people will look at down the line and say, oh gosh, did they bless my life. Ordinary folks like you, like me, we're the saints. And so that's what we come today, to remember people like the folks whose names who read out. And people, as I said, that we treasure in our hearts. People like someone that I'm remembering right now as I hold his Bible. It's my, my grandfather's Bible. My, I called him Pawpaw. His name's John Maurice Robertson from Callaway, Virginia. So today, I'm going to read from the King James. Now, some people joke that's the Bible Jesus used, and it may be, but uh, no, he did not. Uh, but it was the only Bible that was available to my granddad when he was growing up because, you know, the King James Version was all that was available before 1948 if he spoke the English language. So here now, the word of the Lord is found in the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter. You're going to hear today from the King James Version, and the print, y'all, is mighty small. So forgive me if I stumble a little bit. After this, I, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and all kindreds and people. And tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb." And all the angels stood around about the throne and above the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, Thou knowest. And he said to me, They are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun lighteth them, nor any heat. The Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is the word of God for the people, God. Thanks be to God. John is writing in the book of Revelation to churches in what was called back then Asia Minor. Uh, we, it's modern-day Turkey. There's seven churches that... Well, some are being persecuted, and he is there encouraging them to face the persecution and not be afraid. But he's also addressing churches in Laodicea and Ephesus that are being tempted away by the riches and the pleasures of this world. And, and, and what 
John is saying to them both that the tribulation and the trials, they do not last. And the riches that you have, they are nothing but a vapor. They too will disappear. And so he is telling them, look at what is, you're going through in life. Look at all of life from this eternal perspective. And he gives several images that will help them as they are there dealing with all that is going on in their lives there in the late part of the first century when persecution is happening and temptations are coming uh, for them to fall away. And the first thing he said to them is, look at all these nations that are going to be coming to bow before God in the throne in that great day. Nations from every place on earth, of every language on earth. Now, to us who are 20 centuries later, over 2,000 years later, we don't think much of that because from our perspective, yeah, there's Christians all over the world. The gospel is spread literally everywhere. But to those folks in that first century, there in Asia Minor, encapsulated in those churches, they were hearing something that truly was astounding because here they were being persecuted, a minor faith in the backwater of the Roman Empire, and they're hearing the words that the gospel's going to go everywhere. Everywhere, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people is going to come before the throne and bow down before Jesus. That the gospel is going to spread, you see, and nothing's going to be able to stop it. And I highlight this because in this day and time, when I'm reading through a book called The Dechurching of America, where I listened to a podcast this past week where a million young people a year are leaving the church, we can get discouraged saying that the church is vanishing, that the gospel no longer has meaning. Folks, the gospel will draw people if we are faithful in delivering it and speaking it and living it out in the world. That is great news for us, knowing that as we are facing these difficult days when seemingly people are rejecting the faith, no, the invitation still goes out. And we still, as we love our neighbor, as we love this community, invite all to discover life in Christ, as we talk about how the Because We Care initiative is having us Proclaim the gospel in different ways, that it will bring people. It will bring people. In the parable of the great banquet, there in Luke chapter 12, there are some that the, that the host invites, and they say, well, no, I don't think I can come. But then he says, invite others, and they come. Y'all, we got to continue to invite continue to offer the good news because as we do, people will respond. We may have to do things a little differently. We may have to go to some people that we may have never thought we'd invite, but they'll come. They'll come if we invite them, if we live out the faith as we love in Jesus' name. So know that the good news is effective. Casting the word out will draw people in. We see, too, uh, that these folks have been sealed by the blood of the Lamb. 
Earlier in the chapter, we see about all these that are, are sealed by the blood, sealed in Christ Jesus. This is echoing the words of Apostle Paul, who in the book of Ephesians 1 says that you've heard and believed in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a pledge and a promise of your inheritance, and you will one day obtain this. He's telling those first believers that You've been given this down payment of the Holy Spirit as a pledge for what you will receive one day in glory. While all these tough times you're going through, all these bad things that you're dealing with, you have this saying, the Spirit that will hold you in to the faith and nothing can separate you from it. Eugene Peterson in his great commentary called Reverse Thunder on the book of Revelation says this, he said, you know, in Scripture, there is no explanation of evil. There's not. It's just assumed. It's there. But what he says, it is bracketed by the love of God from the very beginning and to at the very end. And in the midst of it, Jesus Christ comes. God comes in our flesh to inhabit the evil so that we know, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Peterson says this, when we experience evil and the suffering that evil causes, suffering that uh, the brokenness this world ca causes, we are not sheared away from God. We are sealed in to God by his presence, by his spirit. In other words, the, the words the apostle Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And as John said in his first letter, he is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So hear this, folks. When bad things happen and they're gonna happen, when hard times come and they're gonna come, I know it for a fact, I've experienced it myself, nothing can separate us. We are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. The Holy Spirit is a pledge and a promise of something better for us to come. And so it does not matter what you're dealing with. It could be disease, it could be divorce, it can be cancer, it can be some illness, it could be some hardship you're dealing with. Nothing separates you from the love of God that's shown to us in Christ Jesus. The Spirit is a seal of that promise within us. And here we see the beautiful, beautiful culmination of that and what John is envisioning for those believers there in the church of Ephesus and those who are inheritors of those saints' witness, that one day we will be fully in the presence of God, celebrating and singing and giving praise. Why? Because we're in the presence of God. And what we do here, what this praise band beautifully led us in is just a reflection of that praise because we are proclaiming a faith that is real and receiving the promise given to us by the Spirit that one day this will be ours. So we've got to sing. That's what those, those people around the throne are doing. They're singing because, well, every tear has been wiped away. All heartache and sorrow has been been and wrapped up in the love of God there in God's heavenly kingdom. We've just got to sing. Again, I, I lived for a while not too far away from New Orleans, so we go there and we see all sorts of stuff. And if you've never seen a old New Orleans funeral, you, you miss something. It's really an experience. They'll uh, have the funeral at a church or at a, a funeral home, 
And then they will go to the cemetery. Now, in New Orleans, because it's below sea level, all the graves are above ground. They're in these mausoleums. So you, when you drive around New Orleans, you'll see all these cemeteries, and there's no gravestones. There are these mausoleums, and they're all, you know, they're very spots throughout the town. And uh, for our African-American friends, when they have these funerals, uh, they'll march playing some old dirge-like songs, you know, like, shall we gather by the river and uh, near my God to thee, and things like that. And this slow, slow time, and they're marching along. The instruments are, are kind of muted. And then they get to the, the mausoleum, and they will, as they say, cut the body loose <laughs> and put the body there into the grave, into that mausoleum. And then <laughs> they'll start to process. Uh, they'll sing songs and play songs like, uh, He Ain't Rambling No More, and do, Lord, and of course, the saints go marching in. Why is that? <laughs> because they're celebrating the fact that that dear beloved one, he's there singing with the heavenly choirs down before the throne because, you see, his or her life is now in the hands of God where all suffering is over, all tears are wiped away, all hardship is taken from them. And y'all, we've just got to celebrate that for these who have gone before us and also claiming it as a pledge and a promise for us, knowing that as we shuffle through this life, as we ramble through the, the deterioration of our bodies as we go older, as we face our own mortality, we do so as people with hope. And therefore, we've got to sing, knowing that we've been sealed to the promise of God's Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. That's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why we celebrate. That's why we honor the saints. That's your inheritance. Sealed with the Spirit. Let us claim that for ourselves. As we come to the table today. I'm going to do something kind of special today. Got to read from my Paul's Bible. Well, today um, we're going to use this communion chalice, or some of us will anyway. This is my father's communion chalice. My dad was a military chaplain in World War II. Uh, he island hopped in the Pacific, started in Bougainville, New Caledonia, and then uh, most notably and most terribly at Luzon, where uh, he uh, served the troops uh, that were in that terrible battle. But of course, as a chaplain, uh, he served communion. This is the chalice he used to serve the troops in World War II and for most of his career. My dad, as a military chaplain, you know, he obviously was a Christian, but I got to see that faith really deepen when he went on the walk to Emmaus. And I saw that the faith became truly real for him then. And I remember visiting him um, in his hospital bed not too long before he died, and we talked to him and said, Dad, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm at peace. And then after he went on to be with the Lord, the day or two afterwards, my oldest brother said, I had an incredible dream. I said, what was it? He said, Dad was hitchhiking. <laughs> and when I stopped to pick him up, 
I said, Dad, how's heaven? And in the dream, my, my dad said to my brother, Oh, it's wonderful. It's truly wonderful. Well, it is, y'all. That's our promise. That's our hope. The Spirit reminds us of that. We're sealed in Him. So we are going to share in a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. Doing, you know, inadequately compared to the feast in heaven. But we're going to share in that banquet. Knowing that Christ prepares the meal in heaven and on earth. So come. Jesus has prepared a meal in heaven and here on earth for all. All are welcome. All may come.